He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. We're here at episode 49 and Case is going to get us started. Just coming to grips with the fact that it's already November. The lovely holiday season is incredibly around the corner. I do enjoy the holidays and especially Thanksgiving, but I just there's just no ready to no way to be ready for this right now. Rigby, the Mark version. Yeah, I uh, I second Craig's uh, assessment that the holidays are a, a good time, but it's also one of the busiest times, and yeah, life's getting pretty hectic for me on with work and stuff. But happy to be here and talk some Laura Linney. She's going to be a, a fun episode to discuss. So looking forward to it. James, it's good to see you at start time this episode. Glad you could uh, be sucked out of the purgatory that is grad school. Yes. Sorry about last episode. You guys might have read about it on Twitter, but the school I'm going to was recently started by former disgraced journalists. It's the University of Austin. I'm majoring in how I'm actually right and you're not, and how being canceled is actually just the repercussions for my actions. Mm -hmm. But other than that, grad school is going well. I've never been more correct about everything in my entire life. I'll add something to the end of it, and that's I, I saw on Twitter that someone intelligently pointed out that this whole school come together is the plot to Accepted, and it's like <laughs> it's literally the plot to the movie Accepted coming to real life. University of shit or whatever it's called. Shitheads, yeah. shitheads for life, yep. man. The South Harmon Institute of Technology right. is now yeah, the University yeah. at Austin. So. <laughs> Uh, the, the first class you take is why civil rights are actually a bad thing, and let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You could come up with all sorts of fun names for that. I'm going to go on a limb and say y'all are not from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but we are excited to have John Rigby back with us. John lives in San Diego, California, where he works as an attorney. He's a graduate of the UCLA School of Law and also a FISI from the University of Iowa. He previously joined us for the Allison, Janney, and William Hurt episodes. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Ooh, welcome back, buddy. Thanks. Good, good, good to be here. Spent a weekend in Chicago and got to tour the grounds of uh, Laura Linney's first college of choice, Northwestern University. Kyle, I'm sure you'll get into this, that she eventually transferred to Brown. And after spending 48 hours on Northwestern's campus, I can certainly understand why. Well, no, she tra- she transferred from there. It's, it was boring. And the high, I went to the I went to the Iowa I went to the Iowa football game. It was the high school stadium. So I think I think Northwestern's campus is beautiful, but it's just it's. Just, I'm just kidding. It's it was great. It was like a perfect little Midwest Midwest town. You're clearly not going for a job as an admissions counselor at Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a nice that'd be a nice way to earn a living. Trust me. <laughs> we'll see. Birthdays, November 18th. Warren's not with us, taking a little hiatus. So Rigby, the Mark version, is going to take a suit up. Yeah, first up, recognizable name, Mr. Owen Wilson um, of Meet the Parents, Wedding Crashers, The Internship, a lot of uh, Wes Anderson films. So yeah, how old is Owen Wilson turning on November 18th? Rigby, don't you do an impression of him? No, I sent that impression to... Uh, all, the only the only one I do is wow. Same. There you yeah, go. Wow. Yeah, he, go, he goes. Yeah. Well, you know, 
Whatever, amigo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that one I sent was so good. He's like, the end zone. I don't really call it the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll break the ice here. Let's say Owen Wilson is 47. Okay. 53. I'll go 51. I will go 55. Doesn't matter anyway, because James hit it right on the head. 53. Oh, James coming out the game. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, we have Chloe Sevigny. Um, Let's see what what she's been in. American Psycho, Big Love, Zodiac. She's in the extremely uh, underrated Hayden Christensen vehicle, Shattered Glass. That's a really good movie. Yeah, I love Shattered Glass. That's a good movie. I'm going to say Chloe is 42. Okay. 38. I don't even really know what she looks like and. I don't either. <laughs> I'm going to go 44. I'm going to go 49. Oh. I think James won. <laughs> she is turning 47. Yes, he did. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Dang. I'm on fire. Wow. Line. Wow. <laughs> she doesn't look a day over 38. That's all I'm going to say. Couldn't pick her out of a lineup either. She, she looks good. It's pretty good when you can win without even knowing what the person looks like. So good job, James. <laughs> That's my test-taking abilities. I'm, I'm fine-tuned. I just got to choose C. He's in grad school right now. He's, he's got an unfair advantage. And last but not least, Mike Epps, uh, the Hangover movies, next Friday, Friday after next. But yeah, he's a famous famous comedian. And yeah, how old is big Mike Epps turning? Indianapolis's own Mike Epps. Very oh, proud right? of him here. Yeah, he's from here. 48. 48 for James. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go 54. I'm going to split the difference. 51. 55. Kyle on the dot. 51. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Two wow. two, two exact guesses. That that's pretty rare. Nice job, guys. Good job, Rigby. Happy birthday to those people. We had a good wheel this time. The we had William Forsyth, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Wilkinson, and Frank Langella. None of them were selected by the wheel. The wheel did select Laura Leggett Linney. Triple L, the attack the triple L attack coming in here. Um Laura has 73 credits. On her resume, which is a little bit less than I thought she would have, uh, given she's pretty prolific. But most of that is film. There's some TV. The, the cool TV stuff we'll talk about is an anthology series that started at the front end of her career and has kind of bookended it to very recently. But she's also a very successful stage actress, as we'll talk about, too. She's done quite a bit since her start in the early 90s. So let's dig in. Let's do a little actor trivia. See if James can stump us. We didn't have trivia last episode, so we're we're itching for it here. Good, because I got some good ones here. So, uh, Rigby Twins, you guys obviously know the game at this point. For those of you who are new listeners, I'm going to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true facts about Laura Linney, and one of them is going to be a true fact about one of the many cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise. You have to guess which one is not about Laura Linney. Fact number one. Moved to Hollywood and lived out of her car to save money before landing her first paying role. Fact number two. Combed Arnold Schwarzenegger's hair when she was six years old. Fact number three. On her wedding day was walked down the aisle by Liam Neeson. I think the Neeson one is probably true. So I'm going to go, it's one or two. I'm going to go number two is the lie. And I think that's, I think that's Eva Mendes. Eva Mendes combed Arnold's hair. Got it. I don't know a ton about her. And so I'm taking a complete stab in the dark here. I'm going to say fact number one is actually about Jordana Brewster, not Laura Linney. Good guess. Good guess. I'm going to say that 
the first one is also a lie. And I think it is an actor I'm surprised we haven't mentioned at any point in time because he's done quite a bit from a supporting character standpoint. I think that was Shay Wiggum from Fast and Furious 6 who played the character Stasiak. Oh boy. Never heard any of those names before in my life. Little shout out to Shay. <laughs> you guys know Shay Wiggum. The IMDb rating for Shay is skyrocketing. You know Shay Wiggum. Yeah, dude, he's been in a lot of supporting stuff. Yeah. Good good yeah. good call, Kyle. Good call. He's a good actor, man. Cool. So the one that no one guessed is fact number 3, which is that on her wedding day Liam Neeson walked her down the aisle, and that is true. Good guess for you guys. They met in Broadway production in the 90s and became close friends because they kept working together. So they actually ended up doing a handful of movies. I want to say it's like, how many? Five? They worked five times. They did Big C, five. The Other Man, Kinsey, Crucible. Love Actually. And Love Actually. Yeah, five. A few months prior to her wedding, uh, Liam Neeson's wife had passed away. And as a way of reaching out and forcing him to come so that they could celebrate and she could also be supportive of him, she asked him to walk her down the aisle. Fact number two is true. She combed Arnold Schwarzenegger's hair when she was six years old. So the story is actually pretty wild. Her father's best friend is a guy by the name of Charles Gaines, who just so happens to be the journalist who wrote the book Pumping Iron and is uh, credited for bringing greater public awareness to a formerly little-known subculture called uh, professional bodybuilding. Wow. Turned into a documentary that ended up following around this young Austrian dude that was five-time champion. He went by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. No one knew who he was. And while her family was vacationing in California, her dad wanted to go see his best friend who's filming this documentary. And they get there, and Arnold is actually so large that he couldn't reach his own head. So to comb his hair for a scene, he would normally have a makeup artist. But since there's this adorable little six-year-old there, he picked her up, put her on his shoulders. She combed Arnold Schwarzenegger's hair. Awesome story. So random. That is awesome. That's awesome. And then after that, he said, damn it, Cohegan, give these people ale. Got <laughs> <laughs> what you want. Give these people ale. <laughs> and I think most of you guys hit the nail on the head. So she actually didn't move to Hollywood and live out of her car to save money. That was, in fact, the one, the only. How do you guys not know John Cena's theme? Oh, it's John. Oh, oh it was coming in and out. We really couldn't hear it. It's just hardcore uh, horns, and it reminds me of the time that that guy pranked that woman and just kept pretending that she won an event to meet John Cena and wouldn't stop calling her phone. She's like, "I don't That's care. So good. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave really, me alone." Really, really good. Fact. Do you support the veterans? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely support the veterans. You support God, you know. That's what we get. <laughs> so fucking good but yeah oh, Cena lived out of his car uh to save money and the only reason he did that is because his dad told him he would never make it in hollywood and he'd be back in two weeks and he's like and i ran out of money in less than two weeks and i just wanted to tell my dad to fuck off so i didn't tell him i had no money and i just lived in my car that's awesome that's great okay tell us a little bit about Linny's snapshot and box office history you know laura Linny ends up really in the middle of the road box office comparing to other people you know, as I dug into her career more and started looking at her filmography, it really does kind of make sense. She's top billed in, in quite a few more projects than I thought, but most of them are not Laura Linney projects where people are rushing to the theaters to watch her in those roles. We'll talk about it later, but I do think that if she had done something of the magnitude and the impact of Ozark earlier, I think 
she may have a little bit different box office footprint here. A few of her best relative box office performances would be You Can Count on Me, making $9.8 million on a $1.2 million budget. Exorcism of Emily Rose. This this part was shocking to me. $126 million on a $19 million budget. I saw that movie in high school in the theater. The Squid and the Whale with a $9.5 million box office on a $1.5 million budget. The largest world gross that she had was $204 million for The Truman Show, which we'll talk about later. She really hasn't had a ton of bomberoos comparatively. Uh, obviously, she has, she has had a couple. The Other Man, which I'll be covering later, lost $12.9 million, And The Hottest State lost $18.9 million. Mm. Comparing her to other performers, she's 38th in average film budget, 31st in star meter, 20th in critic ranking, 31 in fan ranking, 29 and 27 in box office measurements, and 29th out of 49. Nice, isn't it? Do any of those ranks surprise you guys? It does, but when you when you say she hasn't been in like Marvel like bigger stuff, it it starts to make a little bit more sense yeah. to me. Critically acclaimed stuff is not always yeah. I would say of the critically acclaimed movies, like the filmography, she's up there for the ones that we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. But those don't always translate well to like even like Mystic River, which is a Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it was it still probably did pretty well at the box office, but it wasn't like a blockbuster, you know? No, nope. The only ranking that I thought was surprising was I, I would have thought her critic ranking would have been a little higher than 20th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Her average critic ranking is 61.5%. And her average fan ranking is 59.4. As you start piling up some of her biggest box office stuff, I mean, those, a lot of those sucked in terms of critic rankings, you know, like your yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. It, it was definitely interesting to kind of see where things presented themselves once I had all the data plugged in. All right, man. Appreciate you, brother. Let's see how it stacks up eventually to the uh, Munson meter score as we dig into this thing. All right. Well, early career. Uh, we're going to call her first major role in 1993, so everything before 93 that James didn't mention in his trivia segment. So she's born in Manhattan, New York girl. Her father, her father's name, famous playwright, his name is fucking awesome. It's Romulus Zachariah Linney IV. Pretty badass. I think that's fantastic. Anybody named Romulus is just awesome. Anybody with the fourth. <laughs> so as John mentioned, college life, she started at Northwestern, transferred to Brown, Started to do some theater productions. Theater is kind of her first love, her first comfort. But she credits her biggest early career change was when she got into Juilliard. No no big surprise there. Folks that ended up at Juilliard have a leg up when it comes to the training and the access in the industry. So that was big for her. She actually has since gotten honorary doctorates from both Brown and Juilliard. They think that she's a good representation of their schools. And I tend to agree. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Juilliard also gets you a leg up in the dermatology field, according to Kramer from Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) Where would we be? We'd be remiss not to make that connection. That's why I bring you out, John. For at least one Seinfeld reference per episode. Yep. But her first first role of any kind was in 85. Um, She was in a short called Assassins, a film concerning Rimbaud. But she got her first work on Broadway in 1990 in Beggars and House of Plenty. First film role was in 92 in Lorenzo's Oil. She played a young teacher. No name, you know, just a very small role. 
And then 93, she played alongside very young versions of Josh Lucas and Clive Owen in a Civil War miniseries called Class of 61. She played the character Lily. Smaller role in that one, but available on YouTube if you want to see the early stuff. But the early stuff we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about is her first major role in the 1993 Hallmark movie, Blind Spot. And Rigby, Mark has it. Excited to hear this review. Yeah, well, I'll keep it short because it's a really it's a really cheesy TV movie, and the, the quality of it on YouTube is very bad. Um, did you watch the one with the the Spanish subtitles? I did. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. In this movie, Laura Linney plays Phoebe. She plays the daughter of a U.S. Congresswoman who the Congresswoman is uh, planning to run for Senate, and so she's a very high strung, you know, professional politician. And Laura Linney plays her daughter. The politician is played by Joanne Woodward, and Interesting enough about this movie is that it also features a very young Allison Janney yeah. plays a staff member in the congressperson's office. So nice little throwback to one of our earlier Munson's episodes and also the episode that John joined us. Laura Linney actually has a big role in this. She's second build. She does. So this is definitely her first major performance, as Kyle mentioned. She plays a the pregnant daughter of, of Joanne Woodward's character, whose husband gets in a fatal car accident and dies. And in that accident, Laura Linney's character, Phoebe, survives. But the car accident is sort of the event that leads to a lot of family secrets opening up, like the fact that Laura Linney and her husband were cocaine addicts, which obviously for a person running for Congress is a very big skeleton in your closet. And so it tests the family dynamic between Laura Linney and Joanne Woodward's character. Also, the fact that when Laura Linney gives birth to her to the baby, she's the baby's born with birth defects because Laura Linney's a cocaine user. So this another that's sort of the theme of the movie is that it tests sort of the this wholesome family what you think of like a you know a wholesome politician having it tests like the that that sort of thread. The reviews that came out, you know, f- when this movie came out in '93, it's it was labeled as like a typical Hallmark movie, a lot of melodramatic scenes, and but one I found from Variety did say that Laura Linney's Future roles were worth watching after this performance, which I found to be obviously indicative of what she would become because she did she would become a big star. But this was, as Kyle mentioned, her first big performance. And it wasn't I mean, it was a struggle to get through, but I think that was more because it was so cheesy and the quality of the video that we watched was so bad. I've seen worse on this podcast, but I've definitely seen better. But overall, good performance from Linny. And yeah, I mean, she she you see sort of where the theater you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of scenes where she where she cries in this movie. So you see where the theater, the stage acting, kind of comes from. So overall, a, a good first major performance from Linny in this one. And she's in her late twenties when she films this movie too. So it's not like she's some fresh twenty year old, nineteen year old actress. Yeah. He's just like kind of figuring this stuff out. She's pretty seasoned at this point. So I'm glad he told me that because I was like, this. She looks the exact same. Like she looks the same that she does in like. The Truman Show, which was like 98. She looks the same as she did in like yeah. Primal Fear, which was like four years later, four years after this movie. Like I found that to be a little jarring for some reason. Cause usually with like a first major performance, you're like the person looks so differently than they do now, but she didn't at all. I'll make that comment on later movies, but that is something I noticed with her is because she's looked the same her entire career. It's her age range that she plays is usually nowhere close to her actual age. It's like Oh, she could be a 27-year-old or a 50-year-old when she's actually 27. Great point. All right, so next couple of years, 93 as well. She is a small role in Dave, 
She plays a character named Randy, a crossover with Bonnie Hunt. Searching for Bobby Fisher, she plays a teacher who gets into kind of a passive-aggressive argument with Joe Montagna, uh, who's just trying to... She's, he's just trying to explain why his kid is a, is a chess savant. And she's like, listen, I don't care. He needs to do math. Or he needs to get his science work done. And so it's just one scene. But playing that teacher role again, like her first role in Lorenzo's Oil. Mm-hmm. What I found so interesting about it, it's a movie about you know, a young savant who doesn't want their life to be ruined by the fact that they're a savant. And at that point, we weren't aware quite yet that Bobby Fischer was an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist whose life was ruined by being a savant. That came out shortly (laughs) after. It all came together. The same year, she takes on the character of Marianne in the show Tales of the City, which is a, a show that she's reprised three other times over her career, which is really cool. She plays... I I... A young girl who is moving to San Francisco for the first time and experiencing the, let's just say, the liberal, drug-filled, homosexual world of San Francisco. Sounds fun. She has no idea how to react to it. And that's what makes it kind of the tales of the city is her becoming comfortable with this this liberal city that she's not used to, to living in. And you got a young Parker Posey in that one, which was pretty cool to see, but... That's a big one that she has a lot of affection for in her career because she's come back to it a lot. I just thought it was interesting because when we covered Elliot Page and there's the 2019 version of Tales of the City on Netflix, I didn't realize that that character of Laura Linney started 25 years before that. I thought that was pretty cool to kind of close that loop. I just learned that just now. Yep. 94, her first of three movies where she plays Gabriel Burns' wife in A Simple Twist of Fate. Uh, Warren would be so excited to hear that. No wonder Warren didn't want to join us tonight. <laughs> that was one of the potential facts I was going to bring up is she's been married to Burn in a lot of movies. Yep. If like if you have higher than like a fourth degree of separation to Gabriel Byrne, Warren wants nothing to do with you basically. Yeah, it's gonna cut you. That months of meter would go down immediately. Yeah. But the first of a couple with Gabe and does the customary law and order appearance in ninety-four and then back to the stage. She got a Joe Calloway Award for her performance in Hita Gabler in 94, alongside Keith David. But personal life anecdote, 95, she gets married for the first time to David Atkins. But then the movie we were going to call first feature film until we saw Blindspot is her role as Dr. Ross in Congo. It's really bad. But hear me out. If you don't think it's going to be good, it's kind of funny. (laughs) And the, I think the problem is because it's, I think this is based off like a Michael Crichton book, I believe. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the adaptations of his books had been like crushing it in theaters. So everyone came in really pumped, like, oh, this is going to be this thought provoking, kind of like science fiction, man versus nature thriller. And it's just like really fucking dumb. It's just poor, it's poorly executed. This is one of Crichton's first books, I think. I think it was like from the 70s. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, you make a good point where like he was just coming off Jurassic Park and obviously mm-hmm. people thought anything, you know, even a even a, one of his dookies would turn to gold. So, well, what's funny is that, Kyle, I remember when we when we talked about this episode, you're like Congo's literally streaming everywhere. And I didn't watch it, which shows how much interest shows how the ease of access that I had and the how much I didn't want to see it. The fact that I didn't actually sit down and watch it. So. I had to rewatch it because I wanted to figure out if Laura Linney was responsible for how bad it was. No, she's not. And she's not. Who else is in it? Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, 
Grant Hasloff. For some reason, yeah. I was thinking, oh yeah, Hasloff, Fisa. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Lawrence Fishburne was in it, but that, I must be thinking of Ernie Hudson. I guess Dylan Walsh is the other main character in the movie. Oh wow. I don't even know he was around. I don't normally say I would rather watch Anaconda than a movie, but I'd rather watch Anaconda than no, Anaconda. Anaconda Anaconda's Anaconda, good. Don't yeah, slander. Anaconda's a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> yes, it is. You, you didn't go into watching Anaconda and be like, wow, I can't wait for this thought-provoking you know, movie that makes me think about man inter- interacting with nature. You're like, is that snake going to eat J-Lo whole? Like, you're like, this is going to be cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Watching John Voight die is fantastic. Right. Movie. It's like, is Ice Cube going to get choked out by a snake? This will be fun. If a- Congo, it's like, you're like five minutes in and you're like, oh, wow, this is pretty bad. And then it keeps going. You're like, all right, I'll readjust my expectations on what I'm about to watch. Like, it's a man in a shitty monkey suit. Oh, there's a lot of shitty monkey suits. Oh, cool. 1995 between uh, Congo and Outbreak. Big, big year for uh, for primate primate movies. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was in the 90s. Yeah, huge, huge year for the for the primate. What we won't fight about, I imagine, is Primal Fear, 1996. Edward Norton's first movie, which blows me away because he fucking nails his character. She's the prosecutor to Richard Gere's defense attorney in this. So she's yep. like the adversary, and she is awesome. She's a total bitch, like just committed to her job, like chain smoker, like kind of like what um, what Marsha Clark was in the OJ case, just like out for mm-hmm. justice no matter what. Primal Fear has one of the best twist endings of, of any movie out there. Great Ed, Ed Norton performance. Can't recommend this one enough. Great, great Laura Lenny performance too. I think she's good. I also think this is like one of the last movies where you can smoke cigarettes in a courtroom because she does a lot of that. She's, she, she smokes a lot of cigarettes in this movie. And then last movie before we get to highest critic score is another Eastwood film. She plays Kate in Absolute Power. I just I just recently watched this six months ago. It's not very good. Like, it's really sad because the, the book was a blockbuster. It was David Baldacci's first book and was like a huge bestseller. And, you know, Gene Hackman is the president. Clint Eastwood is an art thief. Laura Linney is Clint Eastwood's daughter. You know, you think like this has all the elements to be great great premise too great yeah premise. It's, just, it's just not if you're gonna go for an eastwood dc movie in the 90s go for in the line of fire with john Malkovich. i'm with john this is not one i'd recommend it's really boring no and it's not available streaming anywhere i think they realize why they stopped playing it so highest critic score 1998's the truman show and john is our guest munson comes in he was supposed to get first major role but mark did a little flipperoonie because didn't want to give him made for tv movie so john gets one of the better movies we're going to cover today and that's the truman show yeah truman show is really a gem it's uh from 1998 satire of i'd say hollywood and Big media and reality TV kind of all mixed in one, starring uh, Jim Carrey as the fittingly named Truman Burbank, because the, um, I'm guessing, but because he his life is filmed inside a dome just on the other side of Los Angeles Valley near Burbank, California. And he unknowingly has his entire life, his entire existence from the day he was born, filmed and broadcasted to the world. Laura Linney plays his wife, acting as Meryl Burbank, his wife, but really she is a professionally trained thespian named Hannah Gill. And so she gets a lot of really good roles as the movie goes on, or a lot of good lines as Truman as the movie goes on, gets to find out that his life is kind of one big artificial lie. And she has to really work, really work tirelessly to prove that, uh, that it's, it's, it's not a lie and that it is in fact a, a real life that he's 
that he's living. She's really, really, really funny in it. I mean, it's weird because obviously you, you think of a such a gifted comedic actor like Jim Carrey for for him to be upstaged in in a comedic role by Laura Linney is really something. But I think she's she's really funny in it. She pulls off a lot of you know a lot of sort of winks and nods at the audience, and um, I think she does a really good job of it. I I I think this movie is is another movie that I recommend to people just to see how prescient it was, you know, 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago to see how sort of the landscape of reality TV really is, you know, so deeply woven into America. Now this movie just kind of totally nails it on the head. So that's the Truman show. Her straight laced off of Jim Carrey's like over actor physical comedy fucking kills me. He's like, you might've had a bad day, honey, but try the jackknife 20,000 or whatever it's called. I can't remember. He's having a complete mental breakdown and like questioning his entire existence. And she's talking about like pear slicers and shit. He's like, who are you talking to? (laughs) That's such a hard line to walk for her. She has to show that she has some empathy towards him at certain times because she aches for him, but she also has to show that she's doing her job at the same time while being an actress who's on a set. And so, yeah. like, it's just a complicated role. And it's yeah. it's a it's a brilliant movie because like the Ed Ed Harris character is awesome in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and her her I, second I, straight movie with Ed Harris. Ed Harris plays a detective in, in Absolute Power. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, and I think I think the movie probably was released as like a satire to like consumerism. And then it became, I think once they started filming it, they're like, wait, this could actually be possible one day. where like, we're like reality TV and, and you know, the real world or, and drama sort of like, or like fantasy TV and reality TV kind of like mesh into one. And you don't really know what's one's real and which one's not brilliant movie. And yeah, I love the Truman show too. And her performance in this one ahead of its time. And shocks you with the amount of heart it has at the end of it on a movie that is a Jim Carrey movie where he's asked to do a lot with a little. And then by the end of it, you're like emotionally invested oh, yeah. and the movie has you in the palm of its hand. The first time I watched it, I remember having like goosebumps at the end where the sailboat goes through the, the, st- the, the stage. I was like, holy shit. Holy shit I yep. did not see that coming at all. Boiler. <laughs> Sorry. It's it's been out. It's a famous one. It's been out for twenty years. Yep, universally loved. Ninety five and eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So mm-hmm. that's, this is not a controversial take that the the world likes this movie. So that's good to see. All right, five more years until the next review. The uh, she reprises her role as Marianne in More Tales of the City in ninety eight. So you see the return of that character, and then two thousand she gets her first Oscar nomination for her role as Sammy in You Can Count on Me. Wasn't this the movie? Dames was talking about? Yeah, his third favorite movie of all time, I believe, wow. is what he said. I wish I'd seen this movie because this was Dames recommended it, and it was also directed by Kenneth Lonergan, who did one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, and that's Manchester by the Sea. And he's really, I think he's only done like four movies, and this is one of them. So I wish I'd watched it before this. Yeah. I did watch it because he, he spoke so highly of it. I understand why she was nominated. Again, you could start, she's in her dra- dramatic bag in this movie for sure. There's um, her, her. She plays her the sister Ruffalo, of right? Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo yeah. yeah, and they, their banter back and forth is is really fun. And Ruffalo has a really sweet relationship with with her kid. This is probably one of his his first big roles too, right? It was. Ruffalo. She's in his only movie he's ever directed, which is uh, there's a reason he's only ever directed one movie. <laughs> but yeah, I I think it's well deserved. I I'm not surprised she didn't win it, but 
it's very it's a very good dramatic role on her part and she this is where i started to learn she's very good when her characters start to argue with people because she's got fire and she shows it off when we we get to ozark because holy shit that show is just full of arguments back and forth and tension i want to apologize for something where i skipped a you can count on me without mentioning the willennium first and i'm I'm mad at myself for that. It's so. okay. You're well, just so we're we're marking where we're at timeline wise. We're after the millennium. Just the millennium so. gets us all a little nervous, and we all get a little flustered. It happens. Well, mm-hmm. we're here. Y2K. We all survived. Millennium. We survived. Uh, but what didn't survive was Laura's marriage to Adkins. Oh, nice. It, it, yeah, it lasted five years. That first marriage. Hey, she plays a lot of roles with infidelity. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) 2001, Further Tales of the City, another entry into that whole universe of Marianne and San Francisco. And then 2001, she got an Emmy win for lead actress in another TV movie called Wild Iris. There's a young Emile Hirsch in this one, which was fascinating to watch. Available on YouTube. I could not make it all the way through because it is all the cheese in the world. But she did win an Emmy for it. So credit to her. Yeah, I didn't finish it. But she makes a reference to Errol Flynn in the movie, which she has said multiple times. is like her actor crush growing up, uh, which is a throwback and a half. Um, so I imagine she stuck, snuck that one into the, the script in that. So that's the only thing. Other than Emile Hirsch and the Errol Flynn reference, there wasn't much else to mention there. But very, very dramatic roles. So that's probably why she won the Emmy. Back to the stage in 2002 with Liam Neeson doing The Crucible. She got a Tony nomination, her first Broadway award love. That same year, she's in the Laramie Project as Sherry. Very small role, but we've got a Margot Martindale. (laughs) This is a cool cool movie because it's like a, it's a, it's a, movie that's filmed like it's a mockumentary but it's a dramatic Mm -hmm. mockumentary it's not like Mm -hmm. this is spinal tap so it's um it's yeah it's a powerful powerful movie good hbo original film good cast too great cast steve buscemi ben foster isn't it young ben foster clancy brown yeah the and the matthew shepherd story is like one of those sort of like stories that like change society so it's it's got a it's got a a interesting premise to it and all that as well so yeah as you mentioned available on hbo go check it out i think it's worth checking out even if you're not for laura lenny it's a small role for her yeah and it it holds up i didn't Mm -hmm. expect it to because i remember when it first came out because the there was just so much folk even though the matthew shepherd story happened uh, i think it was like 10 years prior but I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this because it's such a hard topic. But then the way it's filmed, it holds up. It's the it's dramatic and engaging. She returns to the screen with Richard Gere in 2002's The Mothman Prophecy. She played Connie. It was actually a pretty entertaining movie. I, I remember watching this. How many projects does she end up with Gere in? I think three. Three, okay. So a lot early then. Yeah, not quite the Liam Neeson five level, who she adores, loves Liam Neeson. Hey, but at the end in the '90s and early 2000s, man, Richard Gere was massive. So to be able to get to be in multiple Richard Gere projects this stage of her career, pretty important. Mothman Prophecies was, was one of those earlier kind of mainstream supernatural movies. Yeah. Yep. It was all right. Yep. I, I, yep. I would watch it again if it was on. And then last thing before our next review, she made an appearance in King of the Hill. You know, hanging out with the boys. Over Always there. a good choice. Always there you go. Oh, good yeah, she's picked. She hasn't done much TV, but she's picked some good TV shows for the stuff she's done. Yeah, 
All right, so largest audience gap is a really interesting one. I know James got a lot prepared for this. It is 2003's The Life of David Gale, which is available on Netflix if you want to check it out. So, James, take it away. I've been looking forward to this one all week, James. So, I will give you uh, my Laura Linney review first. Uh, I think she did really well in her role. I think it fit her really well. Uh, The next 10 minutes are going to not be dedicated to... (laughs) Laura Linney and her performance in the slightest bit. So The Life of David Gale, it has a 19% critic rating and an 81% audience rating. That is a massive gap. About as big as we've ever had. Yes. And I think I was able to figure out the reason why. The story follows the University of Texas professor, David Gale, played by former actor and now disgraced rapist and pedophile Kevin Spacey. Um, David Gale is a vocal advocate for the abolishment of the death penalty. And after he he is convicted of rape and murder, which shocker, Spacey does a great job playing a rapist, of a fellow colleague played by a fellow colleague and activist played by our girl, Laura Linney, he suddenly finds himself on death row. Uh, The film is told via flashbacks as Gale is being interviewed by a newspaper reporter played by a young Kate Winslet. While Gale maintains his innocence and that he was framed the whole time, but he only has a couple days, so it's like a it's like a thriller where Winslet is trying to figure out how she could prove his innocence. Uh, when this movie first came out, I remember liking it. Uh, keep in mind, I was in seventh grade at the time. It had a bunch of twists and turns, and it's one of those thrillers where you as the audience are trying to put together the clues and solve the mystery in real time. Uh, Upon re-watching this movie, I'm willing to admit Younger Me was very wrong. This movie has thinks it has a political message, but it actually doesn't, like, at all. Uh, If you view this movie as nothing more than a whodunit thriller, though, uh, I think it's fun, and it's engaging, and it's well-acted, and for the most part, it I enjoyed every role. It's a little corny and it's kind of filmed in like the classic 2000 cutscenes, kind of like what we mentioned in man on fire. But if that's the mindset you have while you're watching it, you're like, yeah, it's stupid, but it was enjoyable. Uh, however, this movie really thinks it has a political message. Uh, it ultimately doesn't. And when it's over, you kind of ask yourself like, what the fuck was the point of that entire story? So the spoiler alert here is that the twist in this movie is that Laura Linney's characters committed suicide, and she actually framed David Gale to prove that innocent people can be sentenced to death. The only reason they're trying to prove that is because David Gale loses a televised debate with the governor of Texas when he is unable to name any innocent people who've been executed during the government's term. Uh, I looked this up, and at the time that this movie takes place, four actual people had been executed in Texas who were later proven innocent you'd figure that's information that someone who's devoted their whole life to abolishing the death penalty would know, but alas, David Gale missed that part of the research, and so he stumped when that live debate takes place and that question happens. The final twist of the story, though, is that David Gale was in on it and assisted Laura Linney character with suicide as some sort of act of martyrdom. However, assisted suicide is very illegal and can ultimately lead to a life sentence and potentially the death penalty if you get a shitty judge. So ultimately, they prove that, I don't know, that the justice system works, which is the opposite of what they intended. Uh, you again, don't, you, don't, you don't know Jack, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, also, it's also Texas. There's no, there's no yeah. laws down there. And, so. And so this Any, movie anybody no else point. catch my reference? Anybody? No one? All right. What did you, you say, Kyle? Jack? I said I, you don't know Jack. I caught it. Spacey? All right. Spacey reference? 
it's a reference to the movie about Jack Kevorkian. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. I, I thought you know, the video nice. game you don't know Jack. Nice. Nice. It was a commercial and critical failure and it effectively ended director Alan Parker's career. <laughs> it did. Despite various attempts, uh, he was unable to raise money uh, for financing for any future projects and never directed again. He's done some good stuff, too. He did Mississippi Burning, which we love. Yep. Oh, wow. He did The Commitments, which is a good I movie. I love The Commitments, dude. I think The Commitments is super charming. Me too. Midnight Express. Like, he's done some... He did some... Angela's Ashes. Some really, yep. Really famous movies. This movie literally murdered his career. <laughs> yeah. he, did, he, did, uh, he did Angel Heart with, with oh, Nicky Park starring, uh, starring Robert De Niro, who plays the devil, and his character's name is Louis Cipher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Louis Cipher. James, let me ask you this. If, would you like the movie better if Spacey wasn't the lead character in it. No, I, um, all right. So Kevin Spacey is obviously a colossal piece of shit. And prior to us knowing he was such a huge piece of shit, uh, he's a great actor. And I think he, this role is very much in his wheelhouse. And I actually think it was well acted. The only person who's acting I didn't really like is I thought Kate Winslet uh, was a little corny, but I thought Laura Linney was great. The movie itself just has like no point the twists are weird twists but it's so engaging that the whole time you're like oh i can't wait to figure it out and at the end you're like uh, what the fuck did i just watch but if you go into it not thinking you're about to get a political message it's kind of fun but i am very much on the side of the critics uh younger me was on the 81 percent side uh older me with a functioning brain thinks this movie stinks I, I read Ebert's review of this where he said that like Kevin Spacey and Laura Lenny should be ashamed they were part of this picture because of the last scene. Like a 50 for me. I didn't hate it, but I don't love it. Yeah, I don't think a 19 is a fair score. I think it's too low, but I don't think I would break a 50. I think I'd be below a 50. That's the life of David Gale. Same year, 2003. She is in Mystic River. She got a BAFTA nom for this, and she, after rewatching this, she, I think, is the mo- most cold and remorseless character in the movie. That last scene with her and Sean Penn. 100%. She is cold. She is absolutely ice ice queen in this. Like There are a lot of terrible people in this movie. She takes the cake with that last scene with Sean Penn. I think it's a great representation of the type of person who would marry and have children with a gangster. It's just because you look like the cookie-cutter housewife doesn't mean you have those values. Doesn't mean you're a good person. Great movie. Yep. Sean Penn's incredible too. And that scene where he's mm-hmm. freaking out about his daughter. I mean, that's oh, some of the, dude. The gives me chills when he's screaming and crying. Mm-hmm. He won. He won best actor for that. Well deserved. He deserved it. He talk about a kook though. Didn't Tim Robbins win too that for that? Yeah. Supporting actor. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Any update on the Sprite, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Same busy year, 2003. We got David Gale, Mystic River, and then we've got Love Actually, which plays Sarah. Only the second time we've ever mentioned Love Actually, we mentioned on the Emma Thompson episode, which is surprising given the massive actors in that one. She did, I saw some interviews where the one thing she talks about is that she thinks she had the best kiss in the movie. Whether that matters or not, that's the only thing I can mention about her character because I don't have any opinions about Love Actually. So I saw that as well, and I appreciate her explanation of why, where she was like, me and, uh, I forget the actor's name, it's like we were both just got out of relationships and we were both heart, heartbroken, and 
we had to make out for like a few hours a day, every day. And she's like, and honestly, that's a great way to get over being heartbroken is making out with a hot dude. I was like, (laughs) fair enough. That year and the the following year, she was in six episodes of Frasier, played Charlotte and Mindy, and also won an Emmy for her guest spot on that show. All right, so 2004, she plays Louise in the movie P.S., a crossover with Gabe, another crossover with Gabe, who plays a bisexual college professor. And this is where she mistakes her and Marsha Gay Harden dated this guy who died years ago. And Topher Grace comes in the picture. He looks just like him. And they both compete for him because he looks like a guy that they used to compete for who is now dead. If that sounds confusing, it is. And it's stupid. That sounds awful. <laughs> I thought this movie was P.S. I Love You, which is another rom-com that I absolutely despise. So no. I was like, <laughs> I'm not watching two of these shitty movies that everyone pretends that they enjoy. Uh, and it's definitely not the same movie. So my apologies to this movie. I will say, Laura switches her emotions on a dime in this movie. So I will give her credit. Again, more of the dramatic chops. She's, she's sharp. Very sharp. Pretty dumb. Don't check it out. But you should check out Kinsey. Uh, in from 2004, it's not streaming for free. You'll have to rent it on Prime for four bucks. But she got Oscar, SAG, and Golden Globe noms for her role in the movie. Uh, a movie that she calls the most fun thing she's done, especially because she had just acted alongside Liam Neeson in The Crucible. And she says this is like the exact opposite of The Crucible. If you know Dr. Albert Kinsey's background with The World of Sex. Fun fact I read about this is she gained 20 pounds for this role. And she did it by only eating Krispy Kreme donuts, which is <laughs> sounds like the most enjoyable way to gain 20 pounds that I could imagine. Sounds like a 2005 like weight gain method, too. Like I feel like that was like the heyday of Krispy Kremes. Absolutely. We were doing fundraisers in college, Krispy Kreme fundraisers. We were selling dozens for six bucks. Yeah, so absolutely. Totally understand that was the go-to for Laura to put on her 20. She's good in this movie. I mean, it, she's the only one that got nominated of the cast. Liam Neeson's the lead. Uh, but a stacked cast, absolutely stacked cast. I mean, some some younger actors who went on to big things like John Krasinski and David Harbour. Chris O'Donnell is in it. <laughs> no, not John Travolta. I didn't write. Usually, I write it down, but I was like, "There's so many. I don't want to take up space in the show notes." James Marsden. James Marsden is not in it. He's not getting cucked in that one. Yet. But all right. So you got Chris O'Donnell, Peter Sarsgaard, who you see naked. He gets nude in this one. So you see Sarsgaard's dick. How's it looking, Kyle? Very different than Liam Neeson's dick, who apparently has a goddamn hog. One of the biggest dicks in Hollywood. What? Yeah, apparently Liam Neeson's is like the, the creme de la creme. Pixar, it didn't happen. I, I think he's pretty chill about it. But Laura talked about it in her interviews. She talked about his dick. Yeah, well, people ask her, be like, have you seen Liam Neeson's dick? Because apparently it's huge. Um, and she's like, no, I wouldn't doubt it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, but Timothy Hutton's in this movie, John Lithgow, as we mentioned, Tim Curry, Oliver Platt, Julianne Nicholson, Bill Sadler, Dylan Baker. It's a huge cast. Huge, huge cast. Another Tony nom for Sight Unseen on, on the Broadway side in 2004. And then she played Joan in The Squid and the Whale in 05, a, a role that got her a Golden Globe nom. Yeah, the performances in this are awesome. Hers included and Jeff Daniels. Can't say enough about it. <clears throat> Jesse Eisenberg definitely in his like neurotic bag here, for oh, yeah. sure. For sure. Also, Alexandra Daddario's first film role. She plays Hot Girl in the background. Oh, shocker. Passes by. My favorite scene is when they're sitting at the kitchen table and Jesse Eisenberg's trying to impress 
his dad played by Jeff Daniels, who's the big uh, writer. And he's like, we're reading a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens in class. What do you think of it? Thinking he'd be like, Oh, it's a masterpiece. And Jeff Daniels goes, ah, it's minor Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> he's such it's a like most, condescending like, prick. Like, snobby Brooklyn thing. You can, you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. He does that really well though. Yeah. He's really good in it. Lenny's damn good in this. I think she earned her Golden globe now. She's great as kind yeah. of the, the balance to Jeff Daniels. Same year, played character Aaron in The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which we talked about earlier. Makes an appearance on American Dad. So she's, again, limited TV, but she's picking good shows to show up on when she's doing guest spots. Another That third gay burn crossover in Gin Divine, 2006, played Claire. And then she works alongside Robin Williams in Man of the Year and as a character named Eleanor where she plays kind of a neurotic whistleblower character. It's one of those movies that is always on like Amazon or Netflix says like you'd be interested in and I just kind of skip over it. I don't know if you would. I should pay more. I should pay more respect to uh, Robin Williams, but I just, yeah. Laura Linney is the person who realizes there's a glitch in the whole system and ends up getting how she gets so close to the president. Uh, that's a really good question. That's a huge criticism you can make in the movie. Uh, there you go. Procedural. It's a procedural issue. It is a warning for why we every state should have its own voting systems and why you don't have a one central voting system when it comes to major elections. So it had its purpose there, at least. What I've seen so far is I don't think at this point I've seen her in a role where I went, wow, I don't like her in that role. I've seen her in a role where I went, wow, she's really good. That movie sucked, but she was good. I think that is the recurring theme I've seen. Yeah, okay. I would agree with that. Because, I mean, she's extremely busy during this time. There's other stuff we're not going to mention, but The Savages, 2007, her third Oscar nom, alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman. How was the chemistry between the two of them? I didn't get a chance to see this. Good from what I can remember. I didn't rewatch it. Okay. Yeah, she's she's the sister of Philip Seymour in this, I believe. And they're both yep. they're both kind of like, yeah, they're kind of estranged from another, so they don't really have good, I mean, chemistry in terms of, like, just... You know, they clash in it, but on screen, they work well together. Yeah, it's not like a peachy brother-sister relationship, but yep. for what they're trying to portray, it's, it's a job well done. Yep, gotcha. I agree. So another swing and miss at the Oscar, but at least she's getting nominated. I mean, a lot of actors never been nominated. She's been nominated three times, so. Same year, a movie that I know Rigby likes, Breach. She plays Kate. She plays an FBI agent in this one in a crossover with Gary Cole, who's pretty excellent in this, too. Yeah, I love Breach. Great performances in this. Her role is similar to her role in Primal Fear, where she's a government bureaucrat who's obsessed with doing her job and getting to the truth. Awesome performance by Chris Cooper in this. Who's Chris Cooper is one of those actors that like yeah. he could. He's set, he's a very very like any role he's in, he crushes in my opinion. Kind of similar to Michael Shannon. Chris Cooper's awesome, but Laura Linney yeah. is great. She's the yeah. she's plays the lead FBI agent who um, actually Ryan Phillippe is the lead FBI agent, but. Philippi's solid in it too. Laura Linney is her is Philippi's uh, boss in this, so she's his authority figure, and mm-hmm. she's awesome. Oh, man, two thousand seven, busy year. So we got Savages, Breach, and then we've got the Nanny Diaries. She plays Mrs. X. If you're wondering why she doesn't have a real name, it's because Scarlett Johansson is telling a hypothetical story, kind of in the movie. It's not a great movie, but Laura Linney is a great a asshole debutante, just dickhead and she does it well she fully commits to treating scarlett johansson's nanny character as nothing 
more than scum, like less than human for most of the movie. I also connected with it because Scarlett Johansson was an anthropology major who was struggling to find a job after college. I was like, oh, I know what that's like. (laughs) Had that chaos my senior year. I'm with you, Scarlett. What are jobs? What are you guys talking about? (laughs) Uh, You two are soulmates, Kyle. (laughs) Oh, me and Scarlett are soulmates? Don't tell Colin. And then last one we'll mention before lowest critic score is her role as Abigail Adams and John Adams, the HBO miniseries i tried to watch a bunch of it but I, then i realized each episode's an hour and a half it's impossible yeah. dude i did too and she's incredible though but this is like known as one of the best miniseries like in television history both the paul both. giamatti yep. yeah. Yep. yeah yeah literally like if you if you read the reviews of it it's like on metacritic i think it's like a 90 something on metacritic so but yeah I just, it's it's tough and it's really good from what i saw you got to be really in the mood to watch a a revolutionary political thriller right where each episode is an hour and a half so it's it's not an easy watch but i wish i would have i wish i would have seen it beforehand yeah she won an emmy for her role too i love the scene when when paul giamatti in his boston accent says any luck on the sprite shut Sean? up <laughs> when john adams says i it could have been you who got raped in that car that day yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> is that my american daughter in there <laughs> oh well let's transition to lowest critic score we're gonna we're on a high now we're gonna go to a low for the other man 2008 in case has it we damn near had to review this movie twice for the lowest critic score and the lowest audience score <laughs> <laughs> and I think both would be fitting. The Other Man is a 2008 British-American psychological thriller starring Antonio Bendes, the Liam Neeson, and Laura Linney. Just to preface here, I don't have a ton to say about this movie. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it the old college try. That's all we ask of you. And I would be happy if you guys could fill in, uh, fill in some time here. 1518 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty brutal. Don't think I can help you there, Case, but go on right ahead. Lenny plays Lisa, who is a shoe designer. Famous one, from what I gathered. Mm -hmm. She's married to Liam Neeson, who plays Peter Ryman, who's a software CEO in Northern Ireland. I didn't know Northern Ireland was the Silicon Valley of the UK, but apparently it is. (laughs) Great tax benefits. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And... Neeson discovers that uh, Lenny has had a, an affair with somebody named Ralph, or so he thinks. The rest of the movie is about Neeson trying to track down Ralph, who he discovers is actually Rafe, played by Antonio Banderas. And here's where this movie lost me immediately. Of course, somebody's going to have an affair with Antonio Banderas. Fully agree. When they're married to Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, fully agree. Let's stop acting like this is, this is uh, an unfaithful act. But you hear about Liam Neeson's penis. Let's let's be honest. Well, maybe true. maybe it was just dangerous for her. She's like, I gotta find something more reasonable. I mean, are you taking shots at Antonio Banderas at this point? What I'm saying is, if you get cheated on and the person cheats on you with Antonio Banderas, you're not that upset. You understand <laughs> yeah, that. Upset. You understand. That's exactly that. right. You're more disappointed. Liam Neeson flips out and he travels to Europe to track this guy down who's actually named Rafe. Basically befriends him. They both love to play chess. They're both good at chess. And he more or less tricks Rafe into thinking that Lisa is still alive because that's how he found out 
that she had had an affair with him, succumbed to a battle of cancer, and she had given her daughter a note that basically indicated that she had cheated on her dad. That's a weird, it's just weird. This, this whole movie could have been avoided if you just got a therapist. That's exactly <laughs> right. The problem as it relates to this podcast with this movie is she's like a big character. She's third build, but it's really about Liam Neeson and Antonio Banderas and this weird chess relationship that they have. And like you said, Kyle, it's just, it's unremarkable. I did a little bit of work on, on trying to figure out why I didn't like this movie. And it turns out, and, and James, you brought this up with other movies in the past. This movie's based on a short story. It would have been a phenomenal short film. It just doesn't translate into a feature-length film. That being said, it's only 88 minutes long. Yeah, it's pretty short. And that was the biggest saving grace for me. Is like, oh, this movie's almost over. This is great. I really like this movie. Respect that. And then I went to sit down and type my notes out. I'm like, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> In one of those rare occurrences, I'm siding with both the critics and the audience. In this situation. <laughs> both in the teens. <laughs> Liam Neeson allows Rafe to host a like commemoration dinner yeah. for Laura Linney's character and Liam Neeson goes and supports him at it because he realizes that his wife had a connection with both of them and that's okay. That's actually a pretty mature ending. Yeah. Instead, of, <laughs> instead of killing the guy. Okay, thanks Case. I'm sticking with my agreement. Let's do it. We got nine years to cover before our last review. So she gets remarried in 09 to Mark Shower. 2009, she is in the city of your final destination, plays Caroline along some big hitters like Anthony Hopkins. The director changed the French origins of her character for Laura Linney, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, it was supposed to be a French character. As soon as they signed on Laura Linney, they're like, we're just going to change the character to make it fit, because I don't think Laura Linney is going to pull off a French accent. Isn't she from New York City? Yeah. Yeah. So did this character have kind of an urban vibe to it and, and she was able to pull that off? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. I thought it was connected to the whole like tales of city thing, but it's not. It's completely different. It's based on a book. From 2010 to 2013, the show that she's gotten the most awards love for is her role as Kathy in the Big C. 40 episodes of that. She got Golden Globe and Emmy wins for that character. Is this a show about Liam Neeson? The Big Cock? No, it's about the, the other C word. Cancer. Cancer. Oh, okay. It's about cancer. My bad. <laughs> the Big C. So while you guys are being super immature, and I would never <laughs> harp on something like that, uh, this is the uh, third character she's played that has cancer, terminal cancer specifically. Oh, there you go. What else? It would be the movie you reviewed, The Other Man. Yep. And the movie I reviewed, David Gale. This was a very popular Showtime series. And that was, it might have been one of Showtime's. I've never heard of this before. Biggest series then. Yeah, true. 2010s would have been Ray Donovan was going on about. So this was a good lineup for them. It won one primetime Emmy and it was her. And it's her number one IMDb credit. Sounds like a real joy. <laughs> you know. Speaking of that show of Ray Donovan, have any of you guys watched that show? Yeah. The first like four seasons of Ray Donovan are awesome. I love that show. And then it just got stupid. She would have been great as his wife. Yeah. Also died of cancer in that show. <laughs> would have been the fourth. <laughs> there you go. She would have, that would have been her fourth role. Yeah. Another Tony Nam in 2010 for her, her role in Time Stand Still. So just killing it on the Broadway side. And then 20, 2011, she's in a movie called The Details, plays a character named Lila. She plays a what is what uh, Toby McGuire refers to her as the wackadoodle neighbor 
And he is not kidding. It is a vi- it is very much a departure for her from the other stuff that she's done. She plays kind of an insane person, the next door neighbor in that one. And it's it's a decent film, pretty memorable. I will I will tell you this. It will come up again for an actor we will cover in the future. I haven't even heard of that. It's a it's a comedy with Tobey Maguire. Is that what you said? The premise is when a family of raccoons discover worms living underneath the sod in Jeff and Neely's backyard, this pest problem begins a darkly comic and wild chain reaction of domestic tension, infidelity, and murder. Are you sure that's not a like <laughs> sci-fi movie that premieres at like midnight at in the summertime? It sounds like terrible. It's an interesting movie. No offense to Amity involved, but this sounds awful. <laughs> It's a unique character for her, I'll say that. Said with all due respect. With all due respect, Chip. (laughs) Same year, her only animated thing she's ever done. She was in Arthur Christmas. Uh, 2013, she's in a crossover with Alicia Vikander in The Fifth Estate. Her biggest box office bomb. Yeah, that one's not a good one for either one of their box offices. That movie stinks. Big old stinker. She gave birth to her son Bennett in 2014. So that's a big moment for her personally. You want to hear a a cool birthing fact? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yes, please. To date, oldest Oscar nominee to become a natural first-time mother, having given birth to her son Bennett at the age of 49. Wow. That's true. Surpassing Jennifer Jason Leigh, Holly Hunter, Gina Davis, and Chloe Sevigny, uh, who all became mothers at 48, 47, 46, and 45, respectively. No shit. That's a great fun fact. Is there an interesting story behind the name Bennett? His name's actually... Just as wild as her father's name, where I think it's like Bennett Amistad. It, it's <laughs> Amistad, dude. I'm, like, I'm not for, like, why like would Romulus. I yeah, it's definitely it is something like that. I swear to God, she was 49 when she had her first kid. Is that what you said? Only child, and yeah, 49. Wow, that's ballsy, bro. Mr. Holmes, 2015, she plays Mrs. Monroe. Pretty good flick. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 2016, she plays Chief Vincent. Wait, so Kyle, you said she's only done one. Act. So this is a live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the second one, I believe, the second one of this collect. And she plays the uh, police chief. Twenty sixteen, Sully. She plays Lori, Tom Hanks's wife in the movie. This is the third movie that Eastwood's directed that she's been in. She speaks very fondly of working with Eastwood because he gives a lot of creative freedom to them to kind of do whatever they need to do. Yeah, her her role, I remember being kind of small. It's just basically because he's obviously he lands the plane in New York and she lives in San Francisco. And I think most of her scenes are when he's talking on the phone with her. Yeah. But yeah, she's she's good as like the concern, the concerned wife who, you know, is worried that Sully's getting too too in and over his head on all on everything. So she's strung together some pretty impressive leading men. So now you got Tom Hanks. Sean Penn. Jim Carrey. Liam Neeson, Jim Carrey. Richard Gere. Richard Gere. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's a pretty cool list, man. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey. Oh, wait. Maybe not. <laughs> he qualifies. He was big at the time. I agree. I felt like I described him accurate. Former movie star, now disgraced pedophile rapist, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, speaking of great movies, it's a small role, but she's in Nocturnal Animals as Amy Adams, like debutante mom in that. It's just one scene, but that movie is incredible. I loved rewatching it. It's so funny because in real life, so this is the movie I was thinking of when you guys were mentioning how she plays such a wild range of ages, despite looking the exact same her entire career. 
Uh-huh. She's 10 years older than Amy Adams in real life, and she plays her mom in this movie. Like, oh, wow. Well, it's like John Lithgow is seven years older than Liam Neeson and plays his dad in Kinsey. Yes. And it's like not believable at all. <laughs> I like Nocturnal Animals a lot. It's a That movie's a mindfuck for sure. Michael Shannon's so fucking good in that. And Aaron Taylor Johnson. Those two are incredible in that movie. And then another Tony nom, 2017 for The Little Foxes. So sprinkled in between all these really cool film and TV roles, Another theater production recognition. Another theater production recognition. And that takes us to 2017's largest critic gap, which is the movie The Dinner. And that is my review this time. We'll see if it stands up. This is my second time seeing it. It's got a 46-16 split. So critic or audiences do not really like this movie at all. It's like middle of the road for critics. So a 30 gap. It's the third adaptation of the book. I didn't realize that. It's been done twice before. There were two European versions. One of them was an Italian version. I know that. Yep. The writer went to the premiere and he says, this is the one he hated the most. After the movie, he left. He didn't go to the party because he didn't want to lie it in people's faces and tell them that he liked it when he hated it. Oh, man. So I thought that was interesting. So it features Laura Linney. There's four main performances. Laura Linney, Richard Gere, Steve Coogan, and Rebecca Hall. So we mentioned this on the Rebecca Hall episode a little bit. And she's she's pretty damn good. The acting performances across the board are pretty pretty decent. Bro, that's the theme, man. Yeah. This is true. In the movie, Richard Gere and Steve Coogan play brothers. Richard Gere is a a a politician who's trying to get a bill through, who keeps getting pulled away from the table for his politician duties. These two brothers are not particularly fond of each other. Their kids, two of their kids, decide to beat up a homeless woman who's outside an a, inside an ATM like enclosure and then set her on fire and she died and they want to keep the story out of the news to not ruin Richard Gere's political career. And also because they don't want to ruin their little, they both had Brock Turner's on their hands who just (laughs) did really shitty things to this homeless woman. And they're basically the dinner is the concept of them talking through how they're going to protect their kids when you should just let them pay the Pied Piper for being shitty kids. No, Kyle, as someone who worked in higher ed, you know, you got to hear both sides. Maybe the homeless woman was asking to be set on fire. Yeah, maybe. Um, There is a really uh, bizarre Gettysburg Civil War subplot in this movie that is completely unnecessary. And I I remember that. I get it. It ties to like what he does professionally, Richard or uh, Steve Coogan, but it's just unnecessary. It, 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 that's probably a major reason that critics and audiences don't love it. And she's, Linny is, I would say, is a dramatically competent Karen, depending on her kid at all costs. She is a Karen in this movie, 100%. Um, and she does it well. She, she plays that role so well, I feel like. She does. I did not like the movie very much on the rewatch. I think I gave it like a four, so slightly lower than critics. But it was just exhausting. The subplots seem unnecessary. And the whole time you're like, Oh, these they're going to all ends to defend these shitty kids of theirs. One played by Charlie Plummer. I think I think I remember the the reason that I liked it was that I found the characters to be very believable. Just like how like I I believe I believe Richard Gere as a politician. Mm-hmm. I believe Laura Linney as a you know protect my kid at all costs mom. Yeah, I I definitely I definitely for some reason see Steve Coogan as a history teacher too. Like I just do. So I think it. I think that worked, but I do remember the I do remember the the Gettysburg thing kind of being like, okay, that's a little bizarre. Yeah, that's a, that's a rest screenwriting issue at the end of the day with those four, and then Chloe Sevigny in there as well. That's that's a, a good roster, I'd say. No, yeah. not the worst movie in the world. You know, it's it's okay. 
and it's a it's an acting showcase more than anything else. So I reiterate, if you're a fan of Richard Gere, Laura Linney, even Steve Coogan and Rebecca Hall, you should probably check it out. Just don't have super high expectations going into it. That's the piece I would give. Cool. Well, let's round this thing out. The last couple of years of her career, uh, the big one, uh, running from 2017 to kind of modern day present going into season four, which is going to launch here in January. Her, her role is Wendy in Ozark, a show that I got addicted to over the past week and I'm almost done with season two, but she's so fucking good, man. The whole show. Yeah. I watched season one and I watched half of season two and then I stopped. So, and now that it's coming out after like a two year hiatus, I need to get back on that train. Well, it just keeps getting worse and worse. I really liked it. Yeah. And Jason Bateman's awesome. And I love, we, we had a text chain. I'm a huge fan of Julia Garner, and she's awesome in this. Oh, dude, she's great in this. She's the standout, I think, of, of the cast. The the cast is fantastic. It's a just a bunch of it's a mix of like mm-hmm. of like uppity people and just white trash, like the worst of society. That like <laughs> just yeah comes. It all comes to fruition in the end. I would say. I think this is my favorite role of Laura Linney. I think Agreed. as the seasons go on, her character gets so much darker and more involved and there's so much depth to it. And I just think it plays so it's just the perfect sweet spot for her skills where it's this really intelligent housewife who gave up her career because she was raising a family and her husband was taking care of it. And now it's like, she's, you know, she is diabolical, but she's super smart, but she's cutthroat. Yep. It's, I feel like it just plays so well off of all the other roles she's played where she is the hyper-intelligent wife or the supportive wife of a piece of shit like in Mystic River. And I, I think she just shines in it. It is, it is an addictive show and it has a lot to do with the fact that her and Jason Bateman are in their sweet spots in those roles. She, she kind of reminds me of, what's her name? Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. Yep. Just like how she kind of gets like sucked into this world. And then by the end of it, she's like, she's full on manipulative. 100%. She's like enticing him to like keep this lifestyle going and finding ways to like keep it, you know, keep doing bad things. And there's definitely a parallel to her Mystic River character there too. So I'll give you a hint. The, the, the top performance, the top performance list that I have is only movies, but I feel like, like James said, if, if we had a list of, just overall performances, I feel like just for notoriety and just overall skill, I feel like Ozark would probably be number one on a lot of people's lists for her for her career. The arguments they have are so fiery, man. Yeah, it's real Extremely shit. believable in the context of it. Mm-hmm. And she got Emmy and Sagnoms for, for a role, too. It's an absolutely unreal scenario, and their arguments, you're like, they're so believable. And you're talking about like, money laundering for the cartel which is you know none of us will ever experience but the whole time you're like well i don't know she brings up a pretty good point in this argument like i think you know i think he's in the wrong here uh-huh. so it's a good one available on netflix go check it out just make sure you have time because you're gonna get sucked into that one quickly but let's round it out last couple ones here she plays herself in an episode of bojack horseman so again picking good tv shows when she does tv show work you we see the return of tales of the city uh, that we wa- we covered on the Elliot Page episode, but you know she returns back. Elliot Page is her her daughter in the movie and is trying to reconnect with her daughter, and they don't have a relationship. And so it's just a it's really interesting to see how kind of unrefined she was in the original Tales of the City to the 2019 version, where she's just a completely different performer. Most recently, she got another Tony nom for her work in the Samuel J. Friedman Theater. So still just 
doing fantastic stuff on the theater side. I will definitely go watch her when she's in a Samuel L. Jackson theater production. <laughs> this might have been the one woman show. She was she did a one woman show at one point too on on uh, on Broadway, which is that's very cool. She talked about is extremely difficult to do. All right, Rigby, what do we got for top performances? All right, we got a list from our favorite Gold Derby, The Return. Yeah. So this actually has 12 on it, but I think we can focus on the top 10. And just on first look, we've mentioned all but one of them. We've actually, I think we've gotten into discussions on all but one of them. So, John, what do you got? Okay, The Savages. Uh, Yeah, that's number two. Nice. Or no, that's number three. I'm sorry, number three. Uh, Give me You Can Count On Me. Number one. There it is. Kinsey. There it is. Kinsey's two, so off to a hot start. <laughs> they picked the Oscar noms for one, two, and three. Yeah, what are the oh, chances? How brave of them. How brave. Truman Show. Uh, yes, number seven. Squid and the Whale. Number four. Nice. Ooh. Mystic River. Five. Oh, yeah, good call. So we need six, six, eight, nine, and ten. Okay, all these movies are, like, awesome. This is, like, this. these are all movies or are they on TV? They're all movies. They're all movies. And they're, they are numerically ranked, so... We're we're off. We're we've named all the all the the hot ones so far. Primal Fear, uh, eight. Oh, baby, let go. So we need ten, nine, and six because it's a corny normie pick. Probably Love Actually. Number six. Yeah, I was gonna, that was gonna be my next one. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't think we've missed one yet. No, we haven't. Fire. How about Hyde Park on Hudson? That's number eleven. Nice job. That was impressive. Honorable mention. And yeah, twelve is breach, so we still need we still need uh ten. Do miniseries count? No. Fuck, so John Adams is not on the list, is what you're nope. saying. How about Sully? Yep, nine. Damn. All right, let's go. Number ten, which I don't think we talked about. Um Did we mention it and just not talk about it? No, it's not even in the notes. Okay, okay. what is it? The House of Mirth. Oh, the House of Mirth, yeah, it's oh. like a period. Edith Wharton. Wharton added. Yeah. Okay, that list sucks. That list sucks. It's like all all prestige movies, like no shit. <laughs> yeah, but this is her performances. It's not the movie. Well, of course, yeah. she makes her performances make the movies in some of these. So I respect we we love to criticize the list. So you're right. You're at home. What would you have different on the list, John? Life for David Gale. <laughs> <laughs> she's good. I mean, I'm being she's fine. Yeah, she's really good in that. Movie. Here's the thing: if it included TV, I think I know they put the Oscar winning ones. Ozark would definitely one, two, be three. one. I put Ozark and John Adams up there. Yeah, like those Ozark. those two would have to be up there as well. The big C. Yeah, and I I've just never seen the Big C, but it, you don't get four seasons for being a crappy show. Yeah, we like that. We like Breach. That's a damn good top ten list, and it doesn't even include the miniseries TV stuff. If we all wrote down our top performances, that would we would have it would match that pretty well. Maybe not in numerical order, but definitely like the overall. The overall content for sure. Well, just to show how many bangers she's been in, there are some movies that she's in that are really good that she's small or weren't mentioned, like Mr. Holmes, uh, Nocturnal Animals. She is not a huge movie, but great movie. So, like, even ones she's small in are damn good still. Yeah. I'm disappointed we didn't talk about Jindabyne, more of the Australian box office flop. Or Dave or Searching for Bobby Fisher. I mean, there's yeah. just good movies in there too. Well, let's get into months and meter. If you're a first-time listener, the way this works, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range as an actor, their awards footprint, other talents they might have, 
their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Muntins. So this time we're going to start with James. Kick us off. So when we originally were, uh, the wheel decided that we were covering Laura Linney, I immediately went, oh, I love her. And then as we were looking through her career, I realized that there are a lot of movies that she's in that I truly can't stand. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, but she's great. And I realized the theme I saw was I couldn't pick out a role of hers that I don't think she nailed, whether or not I hated the movie or not. So I hated the life of David Gale and I thought she was great in it. I thought she nailed her role. And I think she's one of those actresses that if you were to ask anyone, I don't know if there's anyone out there who's like, oh, I hate Laura Linney. I, ha- I don't know if I've ever heard a bad word about this woman. And that's hard to do in Hollywood, especially where sometimes having no opinion on something can be a bad opinion in the eyes of Hollywood. And so when you look her up, it is nothing but relentless positivity and kind words. And it, she's just an easy person to root for. I think she is... Um, a chameleon in her roles. I think she shows the range. And I think the only thing I haven't really seen from her has been horror movies, but I didn't see the Mothman proph- prophecy. So that could have sucked and she could have been terrible in it. But uh, you know what? Unfortunately, not going to affect my review. I think she is now starting to get. I think Ozark is going to help launch the next phase of her movie career where instead of oscar noms i think she's going to start getting oscar wins yes uh the awards are there the longevity is there i think she just needs that defining role and sometimes in hollywood it's like you got to pay your dues for some bullshit reason before you're you're allowed to win an oscar in their eyes but i think she's going to get there i think anytime she is in a movie she is a positive addition the negatives i have on her at this point are yeah, there's not a lot of box office uh, success. I don't know if she has been the marquee actress in any movies where it's just her carrying the film, but when she's in those movies, she does carry it. It's just not in the sales approach, so you don't see it in the box office success. But I am excited for the future with her because I think this role of Ozarks is going to finally open people's eyes to the kind of level of dramatic actress she can actually be. And she doesn't always have to be the good person. She can be the bad person. With all that said, I gave her an 81. Rigby, Mark. Yeah, James, you nailed it. I think this, I think Ozark is going to lead to a lot of good things to come for her when, and in a career filled with already good things accomplished. Um, I kind of see her as like a Julianne Moore type who just needs that like one role that like stands up, stands out above the crowd for that year. And yeah, I mean, she's Truman Show, Mystic River, Breach, which I would have watched. You can count on me because it sounds like that's everyone's favorite performance of hers. But Kinsey, you know, you name it. She's been in some of some of the best movies of the uh, of the last, you know, 25 years um, in Hollywood, in my opinion. So I think I have a lot of faith in knowing that she is going to get one of our highest scores and she's going to get one of my highest scores and she's going to get an 86. All right, John, our guest Munson, what do you got? Honestly, that's. I'm like right in the middle of these guys. I think I'm going to go with 84, given the amount of prestige movies that she has, very few clunkers, you know, her, her professional background or professional training as, a, as an actor. I think 84 sounds good. I, I wish that she would win an Oscar because it seems like 
her film performances are starting to taper off a little bit and she's not in more of the sort of heavy hitting awards favorites like she was in the earlier part of the 2000s but you know she's obviously found a home on netflix and and in prestige tv so hopefully that's you know not not over yet but can't be a drunk drug kingpin forever right yeah but yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna go with uh, i'm gonna go 84 love it on my end i i enjoy thir- thoroughly everything that she's in to james's point like even if the movie or the show is not great i mean everything i guess except love letters and like shitty tv movies but you know we don't put much weight on that but even in small roles like nocturnal animals just knocks it out of the park and in weird roles like the nanny diaries where you're like the movie's not great but she just stands out because she commits so much like from a technical perspective she's one of the top five actors i think we've covered in her craft 100 percent. she may not have the the name impact of some of the others we've covered but in terms of just quality of films and quality of productions even if they're not making all the money and not huge blockbusters like this is the first actor we've covered in a while where I pretty much in like I enjoyed almost everything we watch. But coming off of Daryl Hannah, which was the exact opposite, where like it drained my movie watching soul watching a lot of her stuff. It was a refreshing change of pace. Her awards footprint is immense. While she doesn't have the Oscar, she's done everything else. Tony's, Emmys, like Golden Globes, all the things. So she'll lose a point or two because she hasn't won the Oscar, but she's obviously super talented on the stage and that has to be commended when you when you rate her on this scale and reprising her role in tales of the city so many years later i think is a testament to her longevity and being being willing to make that character still relevant all those years later watch a bunch of interviews with her she's genuinely like a wonderful interview seems like a great person no huge marks there so she's gonna get one of my higher scores i'm i'm gonna give her an 87 which is the highest so far. But let's see what Craig brings us to round us out. I feel like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Good Lord. This is a tough one for me because I I do value a lot of the box score numbers. I agree with everything that's been said. I can't tell you a bad role she's had. The one point that wasn't brought up that, that I would like to make is one of the other trends that I noticed as we were going through her career is I think she shares the screen really well with other actors and actresses and then has a way of just taking over. And and I really like that about her. And and I think like you guys have alluded to, I think because she can get with the right director with the right screenplay, she's probably a shoe in for some major awards. I did not get to research as much as I normally do. And, and I think that's going to affect my score. That being said, I'm going to give her a, the lowest of the episode, which is rare, a 78. Well, Warren's not here, so somebody's got to do it. Right? That's true. <laughs> Technically, somebody's always got to have the lowest score. So, Well, with that score, that brings Laura to an 83.2, which puts her in fifth place, sandwiched between Willem Dafoe and Brian Cranston. Oh, nice. Dude, we've been on a hot streak recently. Yes, we have. So if for those keeping score at home... Almost episode 50, number one is Philip Seymour Hoffman, two, Jamie Lee Curtis, three, Emma Thompson, four, Willem Dafoe, and Laura Linney. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good list. Very good list. A pretty cool list. Kyle, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but does that mean she bumped Craig Robinson out of the top five? <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, all the way down to 45th, unfortunately. Okay, God, what a... Yeah. Her scores are high then. James, what is she up coming? So thankfully... We have another season of Ozark coming out because, again, 
no spoilers, but it does not end at the end of season three. So you never really know at Netflix on if they're going to renew a season. It, it just seems like it's whenever they get around to it. That show is definitely getting renewed whenever, though. That's like they can do whatever they want, right? I love it. And it's coming out in January. So it's right around the corner, which feels great. And then she has another movie called The Miracle Club, which is in pre-production. And there's not a lot of information on it, but it does have three signed-on actresses, all of which I very much like, which is Kathy Bates, Laura Linney, and Maggie Smith. So intrigued to see what that is, but there's not a lot of info out on that. I mean, it sounds like a Hallmark movie. It does, but I'm hoping with those three actresses, we get something uh, dramatic. So I, I hope you're right. You know, now she's a mom. That plays a big role into it. She's got a six-year-old at home, so... I know she was homeschooling during the pandemic and things like that. So next episode's going to land December 2nd. And we're bringing back Mike Nunnemaker. I mean, Mike Rodmaker back with us. And he's here for a couple episodes previously. The five actors that are on the wheel for episode 50, this is the big one, are Jim Carrey, who we mentioned a few times today, Wesley Snipes, Lucy Punch, Fisher Stevens and Liam Neeson. So we've got Fisher some connections Stevens. to Laura oh, yeah. Linney. What do we thought? What do we think? What do we think Rod Maker would choose? The potential of me being happy versus me being very upset is like <laughs> a giant gap. It's a huge gap. Dude. I think I think obviously Liam Neeson would be I mean, in terms of just like star power and name recognition, Liam Neeson would probably be one of the best one. Over Jim Carrey and Wesley Snipes, bro. I would. Yeah, I mean, I say those three are unbelievable. I didn't know who Fisher Stevens was until uh, Succession came out, and I said, "Man, that guy's got a big head for his body." Yeah, he's creepy, so creepy in that show. And Lucy, who Lucy Punch? No idea who Lucy Punch is. You could have made that name up. You know who Lucy Punch is? Yeah, you know who that is. She plays the crazy chick in uh, what's the one more? Take me home tonight. Well, she is in Take Me Home Tonight, but uh, the one with Paul Rudd and Steve Carell, where you, uh, Dinner for Schmucks. Dinner for Schmucks, yeah. She plays the crazy blonde girlfriend. She plays the crazy chick in every movie. She's like a neurotic, like stalker girlfriend in all of the, in all the things that I've seen her in. So I do. All right. So I know who she is in Dinner for Schmucks. What What else is she in? Because I can only picture that now after you mention that. Have you seen Take Me Home Tonight? Yeah, we covered that. Yeah, we covered that. I'm Chris Pratt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's she's like a creepy, like stalker, high school girl in that. She's been into the woods, bad teacher, stand up guys. You guys are not selling me on Lucy Punch, bro. I'm like, that's what I'm saying. Case like, yeah. If the if the chances are, I could get Wesley Snipes, Liam Neeson, or Jim Carrey, who I think is one of the greatest comedians of all time, and then I get Lucy Punch. I'm gonna Lucy Punch Rodemaker in the stomach. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey also has a kind of a fascinating personal life because he's had some like mental health issues and absolutely. He kind of took like a career, a long career break, and kind of had like a a breakdown in the middle of it. I think so. He'd yep. be interesting to cover. Wesley would would be fun with the whole like new Blade character, Mahershala coming around and going back to White Man Can't Jump, Blade. Talk about Demolition Man. Yep. yep. Yeah. That'd talk about fun. interesting personal life. He went to prison. Mm-hmm. Tax evasion, right? Yeah, tax evasion. Which could happen to anyone. I feel for him. <laughs> it's a tough spot. Yeah. Dude, if we did Wesley Snipes, we'd cover some fun-ass movies, I'll tell you that. Yes, we would. Um, Wesley Snipes would be my pick. Okay. John, who would you pick if you had a choice? Wesley Snipes. Bingo. Let's do it. Shit, you got you got we talked enough about Liam Neeson and Jim Carrey this episode. You gotta you gotta go to Wesley. That's true. Oh, I mean we can continue on the Neeson dick discussion. We get real we can get real deep on that if it's Liam, you know. Gross. 
So who do we think Rodmaker would pick? Because that's, that's really the question here. He, he was here from Mahershala and PSH before. I mean, those are two unbelievable picks. Yeah. I think he would take either Snipes or Neeson. Okay. I'm going to say Jim Carrot. Maybe. We'll see. Well, you know, Rodmaker doesn't decide. We don't decide. John Rigby doesn't decide. The wheel decides. And we'll see what brings us episode 50. Rodmaker decides Lucy Punch. I'm going to be furious. <laughs> <laughs> John Rigby, you were wonderful, my friend. We always appreciate having you to confuse our audience as to who's talking when. Any plugs or wise words for our audience? No, this was really fun. Next, I mean, I, I've kind of hit a lot of uh, prestige people. So the next time I come back, I want to, I would love to do like David Spade or Pauly Shore or someone who just is, <laughs> is fun to, you know, poke fun at for a couple hours. Pauly Shore is the dream. Either way, I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled to be here. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. We always love having you, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for jumping on. I'm disappointed that your words of wisdom weren't, it's a small world when you have unbelievable tits, Roy. <laughs> no, what it actually was is, any luck on that Sprite? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Fairley, Bobby, I was watching, there's a sports gambling show that I watch, and Bobby Fairley was a guest, and they were asking him what he's been up to. And he said that they are currently writing a screenplay to Kingpin 2. It hasn't been greenlit by a studio or anything, but they're kind of like trying to make it take shape and then they're going to try to shop it around. But he's like, we've talked to all the principals and everyone, everyone, if the script is good, would be a part of it. So, dude, if by everyone, they mean like Murray and Woody. Yeah. No, like, and Randy Quaid, too. (laughs) Randy Quaid. (laughs) Randy Quaid. I mean, Claudia's still looking good. Yeah, Vanessa Angel's still hot. When you talk about Randy Quaid, it just reminds me of that scene in Happy Gilmore where Kevin Nealon goes, psycho. Psycho. (laughs) (laughs) He's not. He's pretty crazy. That's what I'll part on is Kingpin 2. Hopefully, if it gets made, it'll be be good. Though the Fairley Brothers haven't made a good movie in a long time, so I can't even imagine even if they do all be a part of it it'll be it'll be good so as always you can find us on twitter munson's at movies you can find us on the ig munson's at the movies you can email us munson's at the movies at gmail.com any final thoughts from laura lenny no have you been doing this the entire time are, are you that insecure you're jealous that's what this is about because you can't keep up with me no you you can't you can't you can't keep up with me and i have one sliver of success and you you lose your mind munson's out All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity.